Uh, let's ask God to help us uh, with his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you can that we can call you our Father and we thank you that our Lord Jesus teaches us that trusting you, uh, we can live free from anxiety about material things and also secure an eternal future. Uh, we pray now that you would grant me to preach your word truthfully and clearly and that we would all receive it as your word, the word of the living God to us, and that we would conform our thinking and our actions to its truth so that we can live as disciples of Jesus. Uh, we ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, well, when you're looking at the groceries in the trolley or opening that electricity bill, uh, when you're trying to get a scan for your knee or for your back, or book a place for a holiday, you know money matters. That it's important to have money and to have enough of it. And that money really matters in our society, doesn't it? It's part of our public life. Turn on the news and you'll get a stock market update, a discussion of the market outlook, commodity prices and where the dollar stands against other currencies. And we've been having a debate in our society. You probably noticed about you know, how much super's enough and whether it's right to be able to take money out of super to buy a house. And, you know, good as it is to have a house and a super balance, the actual underlying message of that debate is clear. And that's that the accumulation of money is what we need to be settled and safe. Money, wealth, will secure our future. And, of course, we're told money's not just needed for security... We're encouraged through every medium to spend and buy, whether on experiences or possessions, because using our money on ourselves is the pathway to happiness. All around you, people are thinking and talking about money, how much you should have, how you can get it, how you should spend it, what return you should get on it, what it can do for you. And maybe that discussion is not just happening around you, but in your head as well. Well, Jesus, as you heard, also talks about money and possessions and how his followers should use them. But he has quite a different take on what you should do with your money and on where your security lies. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither must where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus' investment advice is clear. On the one hand, he says, investment laying up wealth for yourselves in this life is always going to be insecure and uncertain. Uh, in Jesus' society, their wealth was either in good clothes, which were an expensive luxury, or in coin, hard currency, which people would store in strong boxes in their homes or bury under the floor of their houses. So moths and rusts were real dangers. They could really eat a hole in your wealth strategy, and so could thieves. Walls made of mud could be easily dug through and your wealth taken. Now, we, of course, have banks, but material wealth is still insecure. A couple of months ago, I looked at my credit card statement to find I had spent over $1,000 on 
truck parts in Queensland. And not owning a truck, that kind of surprised me. Uh, the bank, in their turn surprised by changing spending patterns, alerted my sister to the fact that her identity had been stolen. There are people out there who are still trying to relieve us of our wealth and they stick at it because often they succeed, leaving their victims poorer. Stock markets can fall. Companies, including building societies, can go bust. Who here remembers 1990, the Pyramid Building Society? A dreadful impact. Oh, houses in which Australians invest so much can be destroyed by fire and flood and white ants. At other times, inflation can eat away at your savings or, as a retiree, you can be confronted with zero interest rates and lose your income. Wealth in this life is so uncertain and in the end you're going to lose it all anyway, aren't you? You brought nothing into this world and you'll take nothing of this world with you when you leave. Jesus says there's a better place to invest, to store up treasure, and that is heaven. No stock market crashes there, no white ants, no thieves or scammers. What you store up there will be secure forever. And storing up treasure there has the added benefit. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you invest in heaven, your heart, that is your mind and will, the core of your being will be directed to heaven, will be given to eternal things, to the things that please God who rules in heaven. And that's a great advantage for followers of Jesus who live to please God. Oh, and your heart will find its security in the security of God's reign, in his unchanging faithfulness to his word. You see, when your treasure is in heaven, your heart will also be secure, not driven to dismay by every moth hole in your clothes, every percentage point that goes from the deposit interest rate, made anxious or elated by the movement in house prices. Investment in heaven is secure and health-giving, freeing you up from the changes and chances of life to dwell securely as you give yourself to the rule of heaven's King Jesus. And it also helps you look to the future, the eternal future, with confidence. Disciples of Jesus can and should, says Jesus, store up treasure in heaven, make their investment in God's reign. But that begs the question, how do we do it? How do we store up treasure in heaven? Well, Jesus goes on to tell us in verses 22 to 24, we store up treasure in heaven by generosity to the needy and using our money as God directs. And then in verses 25 to 34, he will tell us how to resist the anxiety that would prevent us from following Jesus' investment strategy prevent us from, in a sense, being wealthy in eternity. Now, the first bit of direction about how to store up treasure in heaven, verses 22 to 23, is a little enigmatic and it needs some unpacking. The eye, says Jesus, is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, Jesus is taking the commonly held belief of that day that the eye, like a lamp, illuminates our lives. And then 
he uses that belief and a play on words to contrast two ways of seeing the world and engaging with the needs of others. You see, the word translated healthy, your eyes healthy, is a word that can have the sense both of focus, single-mindedness, but also of the, of the sense of generosity. A sound, a healthy eye, is a generous eye. On the other hand, the phrase translated the eye is bad is literally an evil eye. And that was an idiom for greed or covetousness, for stingy meanness. So Jesus is contrasting two ways of looking on the world, of illuminating your path in life. You can, on the one hand, conduct yourself generously towards others, responding to the needs of the poor and sharing what you have, or you can conduct yourself meanly, keeping what you have to and for yourself alone, withholding help that should be given. One way, says Jesus, the way of generosity fills your life with light. It is life-giving like light and security-bringing. The other way, the way of greedy selfishness, is a path of impenetrable darkness, anxiety-bringing and life-denying. For what should illuminate it, what comes through the eye, in a sense, is already dark. And if that's the case, how great is that darkness? Jesus is saying we store up treasure in heaven by having a sound eye, an eye that deals generously with the needy as God expects us to. And there's a whole series of references in the handout to God's expectation of how we should treat the poor. And we store up treasure in heaven by serving God with your money single-mindedly. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now what Jesus says is true. The word Jesus uses here for serve is the word for the service of a slave. Exclusive ownership and exclusive loyalty are of the nature of being a slave. And so you cannot take direction from and give your loyalty to two different people at the one time. You cannot let money compete with God for your loyalty. And money, the word translated money is actually mammon, and that was a word that was used for money and property, all material wealth. To serve mammon is to be directed in life by a desire to gain more, to accumulate wealth. It's to make your choices on the basis of what will enrich you because you see money, wealth as a source of security, power and happiness. Such a service will always compete with doing what God says. If you're to store up treasure in heaven, then the God of heaven must be your master. He must direct your life and especially how you use mammon, the money and property he's entrusted to you. Where God is your master, money will not be your master, but your servant in your service of the one from whom all good things come. When you serve God, the way you use your money in obedience to God becomes a means of storing up treasure in heaven. Now, how will God, being the master you love and are devoted to, show in your use of money? Well, it'll show by you following God's instructions on what you do with your money. 
So what does God say you should spend your money on? And I'm going to run through these briefly. Again, the references are all there in the handout. But in God's word, say 1 Thessalonians 4, we see that God expects us to support ourselves and be dependent on no one. 1 Timothy 5, to care for our family. Romans 13, to pay tax. Oh, to be honest in business dealings paying the wages of those you employ, the bills of the providers of goods and services. He expects us, 2 Corinthians 9, to be generous to the poor. And yes, Galatians 6, 1 Corinthians 9, he expects his people to support gospel ministry. These are all things God says you should use your money on. But living his way will have more consequences for our wealth. You see, think of the life that Jesus has just called his people to. Remember, he's called us to be meek, merciful and forgiving, generous to those who ask. Now, that will cost. The debt you forgive is money you forego. What you lend out may not come back. Not insisting on your rights to promote the interests of others might mean you lose now. And remember, Jesus has called us to be willing to suffer. And that includes suffering economic loss as you are persecuted for his sake. We see that in the New Testament. The widows in Acts 6 who were excluded from the synagogue distribution for their loyalty to Jesus. Or the believers, uh, the letter the Hebrews was written to, who had their property plundered. Storing up treasure in heaven by being exclusively loyal to God has real-world economic consequences. So as you listen to Jesus, you ought to think, am I using what I have to make eternal investments? Is loyalty to God my Father directing my decisions about money and property? Are you glad to be able to make an internal investment now? Glad even if it may mean you grow poorer, less rich than those around you who serve mammon and with whom we are always tempted to compare ourselves. Becoming poorer, even if only relatively, in an age of comparison and competition in a world where so much is uncertain, well, that possibility can make us hesitate to embrace Jesus' life-giving investment strategy, can provoke anxiety in us about our material welfare, about whether we will have enough if we serve God, not mammon. So Jesus names this impediment to eternal investing and he addresses it. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. It's actually easy to be anxious about material things, isn't it? Whether like most of us you have a lot or like most of Jesus' first hearers have very little. That's right, Jesus' first hearers were in the main poor day labourers paid each day for the work they did, paid only enough for that day or the next day's food. And so if they were off work for a day or two with sickness, there'd be no wage, no food, and they'd have to rely on the generosity of family and neighbours. If the season was bad, there might be no work. If there was famine, the price of food would increase beyond their means and they would know hunger. Jesus' first hearers had rational grounds for anxiety about 
having enough. And us? Well, we have rational grounds for being anxious about our material security as well. You know, like taxi drivers, our industry could be disrupted by the gig economy, gone by a decision of government. Our work, perhaps, could be dependent on or we could have heavily invested in trade or students coming from China. And then the market closes because of political disagreements outside our control. We may have our crops washed away by floods, our stock decimated by drought. Our wealth depends on so much outside our control and our resources are limited. In response to this rational anxiety about our material welfare, Jesus says to his followers, do not be anxious. Do not give way to an anxiety that would stop you from storing up treasure in heaven by using your money as God directs. And he gives them, he gives us, four reasons not to be anxious. And in these reasons, he actually exposes four attitudes of our hearts that can lie behind our anxiety. So let's look at the arguments first. Therefore, says Jesus, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is saying, look, God has already given you the big thing, life itself, this wonderful body we inhabit. Now, in all their complexity and wonder, our lives, our bodies are so much more than the things we are concerned about. You know, if our God can give us life, why should we doubt that he can give us the lesser things? Food to sustain our lives, clothes for our body. And as our lives are his gift, why should we think he is ignorant of our needs or unable to sustain his gift? Look around you, says Jesus. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? See, God is always sustaining the teeming life of the created natural world. In the city, we may be less aware of that, perhaps. But go for a walk in Banyal Flats or in the Plenty Gorge Park and you'll see an abundance of life that often we just take for granted. Yet we don't organise their meals. God does. And he does it all around the world and he does it again and again day after day. His provision is never exhausted. And people made in God's image are more valuable than they. He won't show less care, make less provision. And which of you, says Jesus, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? He says, why be anxious when anxiety is useless? You don't determine when you're born and you don't determine when you die. All your worrying is not going to mean you'll live longer beyond the days written for you in God's book. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God is not challenged by providing for you, and he is no miser. Look at the wildflowers here today, gone tomorrow but a riot of colours and hues, not even Solomon, that proverbially rich king, could rival. 
See around you, says Jesus, the richness and profligate generosity of our God's provision and care for his creation. He, our Father, can provide for you. God's providing for all of life all the time and his is a constant, rich, generous provision. Yes, he provides through work. The birds flit about and look for insects and seeds. This is an argument against anxiety, not for laziness. But our God has no lack of resources or care. If we are his, if we've been taught by Jesus to call the eternal God our heavenly father, Why should we be anxious about what we need? And in these reasons, Jesus actually exposes four attitudes that feed our anxiety despite the obvious ability of God to provide and God's commitment to his people. Firstly, we underestimate his power. You see, we might think, as opposed to scripture, where God sustains all life, God's uninvolved or only involves himself intermittently. And actually that comes easily to us who are trained by our education system often to think that the world all goes on without God. Our society's had a deliberate campaign to remove God from our world. But you heard the reality in Psalm 104. It is God who sustains all of life all the time. He feeds, he gives breath to all creatures. His power is limitless. Oh, and we also understand, underestimate God's love and care for his people. See what Jesus says? Are you not of more value than they? And again, our society doesn't help because so often we're being taught to think that, no, we are just animals like the rest That's not true on two levels. People are made in God's image. God holds creation responsible for its treatment of human life. We are more valuable. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, those whom God has loved enough to send his son into the world to save. Jesus is talking to those he has taught to call the eternal almighty God their father and to know that he actually loves for us and is committed to us our father has all power and he cares for us we shouldn't doubt his capacity to provide but for many jesus illustrations are are robbed of a, a kind of heartfelt power we don't naturally relate to them because of our fearfulness today about the world That's right, isn't it? Our anxiety, and if not ours, the anxiety of our young people, has actually been heightened by thinking that the world is on the brink of catastrophe because of our selfish and thoughtless greed. Now think about that. God in his justice may give us up to the folly of our sinful greed. He may. But his care for his people and his ability to provide for them are not in any way limited by human sin. And he hasn't stopped caring for his people. In fact, our anxiety can distort our perception so that we lose sight of reality. 
And the reality is that many are fed, many are provided for every day, more are provided for now than they were 50 years ago, and they are better provided for. God's provision is extraordinarily generous. We should be wise stewards of our world, but not be anxious because we doubt God's power or care. And just as we underestimate God, so we're a society that chronically overestimates our own powers. And that opens us up again to anxiety because we hear Jesus say, which of you can add a single hour to your life? And we think we can. That's right. We pursue those extra minutes and years, don't we? Through diet and exercise, through mindfulness and retreat. What's that all about apart from having a beautiful body? You know, it's actually about trying to keep you living longer. Well, diet and exercise are good, but it's not going to work. You will die when God says. It doesn't matter how many times you run around the tan, that is still going to be true. But here's the catch. Because we overestimate ourselves, when we can't see how we can do something like extend our lives, we think God will be challenged by doing it. See, thinking God is like us because we want to think we are like God, that's always a recipe for fear and anxiety. So... We're prone to be anxious because we underestimate God, his love and care, and because we overestimate our own abilities. And then Jesus comes to really what's the fundamental point. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown to the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That's the fundamental problem for Jesus' followers living his way, isn't it? Little faith. Now, not many of us, especially when we've been Christians for a while, like to own up to little faith. But that's actually the issue for most of us. You see, when we take our eyes off God's might and faithfulness and generous love, when we cease to meditate on his marvellous deeds, it's easy to do that, isn't it, when we become preoccupied and busy? Well, when we do that to focus on the affairs of our life, our faith becomes stunted. And weak. Compared to God's trustworthiness, His might, His love, our faith is totally inadequate. But God is faithful. He is almighty. He is committed to Jesus' people. And Jesus' disciples, those who trust in Jesus, embrace His investment strategy, serve God with their money, and not make money their God, can rely on the love and the care of the Almighty God. Therefore, says our Lord, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, Jesus says it's the Gentiles, pagans, those who do not know God, who are constantly preoccupied with pursuing these things, the material necessities and wants of life. And they feed that preoccupation by constantly comparing themselves with each other, measuring their possessions and wealth against what they see of the lives of others, whether that's on TV or social media. And the result? Well, they're either fearful they're missing out or being left behind, 
or they're putting their confidence in possessions, having more than others, possessions which are so uncertain. Both are recipes for anxiety. But Jesus' followers are different, for they've been brought by Jesus to know the living and true God as their father. And I hope if you're a believer sitting there, I hope you know that the almighty God, because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, is our heavenly father. And just as an earthly father provides for his children, so our God, our father, knows our needs and is committed to our care. He can be trusted to provide for us and keep us. And that means Jesus' followers are free to live different lives, marked by a different pursuit. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. God's kingdom and righteousness are God's reign and what he says is consistent with living under his reign. And Jesus has just been teaching his disciples that righteousness, the righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. To seek God's kingdom and righteousness then is to seek always to live in accord with God's will revealed in and by Jesus, to live under the authority of God's King Jesus and to promote his reign and reputation. So when faced with a choice, the disciple who knows that God is his heavenly father, the disciple's first question is not, what will this give me? Or will this enrich me? But what does God want me to do? What course of action is consistent with being Jesus' followers? And it's not, uh, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? No, no, it's what does Jesus tell me to do? What does Jesus command me and call me to do? Seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness is the believer's guide to life. And returning to the beginning of this section, it's how we store up treasure in heaven, make that eternal investment. Now, seeking first God's kingdom and righteousness definitely includes how we are to use our material wealth and property. That's the focus of the whole section. But it is wider than that. And it's not just one choice, but seek and keep on seeking. It's an attitude to life. And it's an attitude that should determine the way we engage with all our decisions, what to spend our money on or what to save for, when to leave our job or stay at it, where we should live, when we should move, whether we should leave work to give all our time to the work of the gospel or continue in the course we're on. And the promise of God's provision is true. You see, one of the advantages of getting older is that you actually see the faithfulness of God worked out in the lives of those who trust him. I've seen God keep his word in my own life and in the life of my parents who made some pretty costly decisions to serve him, but he has always been faithful. I've seen this promise proved true in many who have interrupted their careers or made choices that seem to go against their material interests for the sake of doing what Jesus said. Choices like well, deciding to be faithful in their word in business, even if it costs them. Knocking back a promotion so that they could stay and care for their parents or give more needed support for their families. Choices like not taking opportunities in sport because it conflicted with following Jesus or not pursuing a relationship with someone they were attracted to 
because it would lead them away from devotion to Jesus. God has always proved faithful to those who seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And it is seek and keep on seeking. So there's never a time in life when this is not the guide for the decisions of Jesus' people, especially about how they use their money. So let's say you're starting out in work and you're just now deciding how to use your money. Well, you have to ask, how does Jesus want me to use my money? And the answer for that must include supporting the work of the gospel and providing for the poor. And when you're just starting out and you don't have much, that's a great time to get into the habit of using your money the way God says. A habit when you've got little because you actually trust the Lord Jesus. And then in the middle of life, like many of you are in, you know, where you have many responsibilities and costs and you face real choices, you know, will I get this now or will I put it off? Will I extend myself to the max with our loan or will I leave some to give away? This is still your guide. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And if you're getting older like me, and some of you are, well, you're all getting older, but perhaps not quite as old, at least not yet. You know, we've got questions too. You know, do we max up the super in pursuit of the best possible retirement life or keep giving and giving generously because now our costs are less? Now, all these are individual choices, but think hard. You know, I came to the conclusion, I would be embarrassed to die rich in the things of this life if that meant that I'd missed the opportunity to store up treasure in heaven. How embarrassed. Where Jesus has told me how I could secure an eternal wealth to have actually ignored him and not used it to do good in the world. Especially when, you know, the return, if you're older, your return on your investment in heaven is actually getting closer. So perhaps it's like super, you should be piling it in. Storing up treasure in heaven is a lifetime investment strategy. And seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness is the lifetime pursuit of Jesus' followers because we trust our Saviour and he has brought us to know the living almighty God as our heavenly Father. But Jesus has one final word on anxiety and I actually think it's an important final word for us. Don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now I've often viewed that verse as just something tacked on after the real climax, verse 33. But then came the lockdown and I was forced to realise that anxiety about tomorrow was actually a reality in my life. I mean, I had food, Shelter, pleasant company, useful things to do. But I sensed a real anxiety in my heart, anxiety about the future. You know, about the future of the church, the economy, the nation, what would happen when JobKeeper stopped, and anxiety fed by constant media commentary. Now, did you experience that, or am I just alone in little faiths? Anxiety about the future. Anxiety about tomorrow is actually something our society cultivates even in normal times. Anxiety about our children's future. 
our retirement income, our job security, about the state of our nation. And it's something that many are trapped in by the individualism of our society, our trust in and reliance on ourselves. Because let's face it, when you only have yourself in this world, you have every reason to be anxious. I realise that I and others spend a lot of time not being anxious about not being able to get food and clothing like first century labourers, but being anxious about losing in the future what we have now. But Jesus tells us not to be anxious about tomorrow. Like the length of our lives, it's outside our control. We can't control the future. And did you notice Jesus says, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Because of our Father's commitment to provide all we need, we should not be anxious. You see, what our Father gives us, we will possess securely until he takes it away. And when he does that, we can trust him that it will be for our good. If we can trust him for the present, we can trust him for the future and his provision is actually our only hope for the present and the future. But he will be faithful to his promises. So we mustn't let anxiety about the future distract us from present obedience, from responding as believers, those who seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, to present trials and present challenges, including challenges about the way we use our money. Sufficient to the day is its own trouble. Now, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus... Hopefully you've heard Jesus say today that there is actually a better life. One where trusting him, you know the eternal almighty God as your heavenly father. A life freed in this uncertain world from anxiety about your daily needs. One where you can do now what will matter for eternity. Where you can invest now with what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. You should find out if this could be your life by finding out if Jesus knows what he's talking about, if he's trustworthy, and we'd love to help you do that, help you go through a life of Jesus where you can actually start to know him and work out if you can trust him. But if you're a believer in Jesus in our society, you should recognise what is obvious, that we are under constant pressure to compromise to abandon that better life, to store up treasure on earth, to find our security and significance in our material wealth and possessions. And that message is persistent and pervasive in our society. But conforming your life to it will leave you eternally poorer. And so if you're a believer, you actually need to be continually asking questions like this. Where am I investing, heaven or earth, and make it concrete. If someone looked at the way you used your money, your account, if they ran through the credits and debits, would it look different from your non-believing neighbour? Not just more prudent or more self-controlled, but heaven-focused, the poor to the gospel. Where am I investing? Secondly, what am I seeking? 
What's guiding my life choices? You know, where I live, the work I accept, the money I spend. Is it the reign and the righteousness of King Jesus wanting to enhance his reputation, conform my life to his teaching? Or is it my own wants and desires? Where am I investing? What am I seeking? And what am I worrying about and why? What does it say, my worries, of my trust in my Father's goodness, power, care and trustworthiness? Now, if you're a believer, you should not doubt that at all. I mean, come this Friday, we're going to gather together and say God gave his only son for us when we were his enemies. And on Sunday, we're going to meet and say God raised his son and gave him all authority in heaven and on earth to give us eternal life. Why would you doubt if you confess that that is true? Your father's love or power. Ask yourself those questions. And if you find yourself conformed to this world in your use of money and the decisions you make, well, turn back to Jesus and ask his forgiveness for not being directed by his word in the way you use what he has entrusted to you. And ask for grace to trust him as he deserves, to stop being of little faith so that you become a disciple who seeks first his kingdom and his righteousness. Remember, Jesus loves us and speaks for our good to give us a life free from anxiety about material things, a life focused on our Father and doing his goodwill, a life we can live to store up now with things that will pass away a secure and eternal treasure. So listen to him. And if you haven't yet, start investing in eternity. And if you are already doing it, keep on, keep on, because he will be faithful and he will welcome you into his eternal home. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the abundance that you entrust to us in this society. And we pray for grace to live now as disciples of Jesus, those who in all things and throughout our lives seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Those who, by your grace, as we listen to Jesus and trust him, Store up a treasure which will never, never be lost, destroyed, harmed, but will be secure with you forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.